Thank you, Daryl. Appreciate that prayer this morning. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 15 of John, chapter 16. If you're watching by live stream and you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that is okay. You can follow along. Most of the verses that I share will be on the screen uh, for you to see if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible. We do have Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And if you're here and you don't own a Bible, we want you to keep that Bible. That is our gift to you. We would love for you to take that with you. But we are studying through the Gospel of John and have been for a long time. And we're in chapter 16. And we're in the second part of a two-part message on the ministry of the Helper, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And last week in part one, we looked at verses one through seven. And so this week we will look at part two of two parts as we look at verses eight through 15. Important to remember, to keep in mind, especially if you're visiting with us this morning, these words were spoken by Jesus in the upper room on the night before his death. So this is the night before his trial, the night before his mocking and beating. This is the night before his crucifixion. These are the words that Jesus spoke as the last words to his disciples. Chapters 13 through 17 are sometimes referred to as the upper room discourse. Sometimes they are also referred to as the farewell discourse of Jesus. And in verses 8 through 15, referring to the Holy Spirit, this is what Jesus says. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Well, our first point this morning is the helper and the unsaved. Last week, we looked at the important biblical truth that Jesus must go away so that the helper can come. We looked at that important truth that Jesus had to leave them. He had to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come. In verse 1, in verse 1, Jesus says this, to his disciples gathered with him. Now keep in mind at this point, 
But Judas is gone. He has gone to betray Jesus. The eleven are there. And he says to them in verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. These 11 are about to undergo the most difficult time of their lives. In fact, they are about to undergo the most difficult time that any Christian has ever gone through or will ever go through. For in verse 2 it says, they will put you out of the synagogues. I want you to know that after my death and resurrection, as you continue my ministry, they're going to cast you out of the synagogue, this, the synagogues, the synagogue being the very central place of the life and religion of a Hebrew person. They would become outcasts. They would be ostracized from their communities. He says, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. I want you to know that you're going to die. And when they kill you, they're going to think that they are serving God by killing you because they have so opposed me that they will, so, they will equally oppose my followers. But as they will kill me, they will kill you too. And as I mentioned last week, Of the 12 apostles, 11 of, 11 of them were martyred, and the other one, John, was banished, exiled to the island of Patmos. In Acts chapter 1, we see that Matthias, by lot, is chosen to take the place of Judas. Matthias was martyred for his faith. He so said, I want you to know these things. And in the last part of verse 4, he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. I did not tell you these things from the beginning because you couldn't have handled them. You couldn't. If you'd have known these things three years ago, you wouldn't have focused on me. And he wanted them to focus on him. They wanted him to, them to focus on his teaching. They wanted, he wanted them to focus on his miracles his ministry, and ultimately his salvation. And he didn't tell them these things from the beginning because he was with them, and the whole brunt of the persecution and opposition was borne by Jesus while he was with them. But now he's going to be gone, and so it, are, it is his disciples, his followers, who are going to bear the brunt of this. And we get a great sense of the mood in the room in verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. These men are filled with sorrow in the upper room. Jesus is coming toward the end. We still have the end of chapter 16 and, verse, and chapter 17 to go, but he is getting toward the end of his conversation as they are celebrating the Passover supper, which would become the Lord's Supper. And right now, at this point, their hearts are heavy, filled with sorrow, as ours would be if we were told these things. And then we looked at that key verse, which I really honed in on last Sunday, and that's verse 7, where he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus has to leave. 
so that the Holy Spirit can come. And as we ended last week, I shared with you five reasons. There are more than five, but five important reasons why Jesus had to go away so that the Helper could come. I'm going to review those very briefly with you. Jesus had to leave so that he could accomplish our salvation, and then the Holy Spirit could come and apply his finished work to the lives of everyone who believes in him. Second, Jesus had to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come and indwell every believer starting at Pentecost. Number three, Jesus had to go away so that he could now live in every believer by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He had to go away so that he could now live in every believer by means of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Behold, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. How could he be with them always? By living in them. By means of the Holy Spirit. Number four, Jesus had to go away so that the power of God could come to rest on us. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Number five, Jesus had to go away so that we could have constant access to God's strength, to God's peace, to God's guidance and God's wisdom. Now, wherever you go, whatever you do, because Christ lives in you by means of the Holy Spirit, you can pray to him. He's always just a prayer away. And you can pray that his strength would be your strength that you would experience his peace, the peace that passes all understanding, that whatever decisions you make, whatever dilemmas you're in, you can pray for his guidance. You pray for his wisdom. Oh, God, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Because by means of the Holy Spirit, he lives in you. It seems like an irony, but it's not. Jesus had to leave so that he could be with them all the time. Jesus had to leave so that he could be with them all the time. Well, that brings us to today's passage. Jesus continues to teach his disciples why it is absolutely essential that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, come to them. In verse 8, he says, And when he comes... When the Helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes and we give out the gospel message, it will be the Holy Spirit who convicts the people who hear the gospel. He will convict them of sin of righteousness, and of judgment. And that's one of the things that I want you to remember. One of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit 
is to take the gospel message, and that's why it's so important that we be faithful with the gospel, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's in personal evangelism, whether it's in a small group, whether it's you're teaching in a class, whether it's on the mission field. That when we give out the gospel, it is important to remember it is the Holy Spirit who uses the gospel message to convict, to convict the listeners. Some will believe and some will not, but it is the Holy Spirit's absolutely critical and crucial role to convict those who hear of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And Jesus goes on to explain each one. In verse 9, he says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. He will generally convict the world of sin, of their sin, and that they are sinners. But primarily, he will convict them that the greatest sin of all sins is not to believe in Jesus. Is to have the gospel message clearly presented to you and to reject it, to refuse to believe, to walk away. And it will be the Holy Spirit who will convict them that this Jesus has been presented to you as Savior and Lord. And you must either believe or reject. But know this, the greatest sin of all sins is not to believe in him. In verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. It will be the Holy Spirit who convicts unbelievers that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. He is the righteous one of God. He is the sinless son of God. He is the Savior who has come into the world. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the one prophesied in the Old Testament. He is the suffering servant of the Lord. And this will be verified because he will die and he will rise again and he will go to the Father. And they will know he is everything he claimed to be. He is the one he said he was, though he was opposed. Everything he said about himself has come true and will come true. And it is the Holy Spirit, the helper, who will convict these people that you are rejecting the righteous one of God, the Son of God, come from God, God in the flesh, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And notice the past tense there, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now this can have application to the fact that there will be a future judgment and the Holy Spirit convicts people of a future judgment, but this is a reference to the fact that the ruler of this world, the prince of this world, Satan, is going to be judged thoroughly and completely at the cross. He will be defeated. Christ will gain for us a complete and absolute victory over Satan. 
Satan is the ruler of this world. He is the ruler of the hearts of those who don't believe. And he continues to feed them a false gospel, a gospel that your purpose in life is fame, it's fortune, it's power, it's selfishness, it's self-centeredness. Everything's about the here and everything's about the now. And let me tell you, when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl starts pondering, this life seems so meaningless. What's it all about? I go to work, I come home, I do the same things day in and day out, and then I'm going to die. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. It just seems like there's no purpose, no meaning in this world. And let me tell you, when a person has those thoughts, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the Holy Spirit convincing them that Satan's gospel is a false gospel. There is no hope in this world. There is no meaning in just the things of this world. It says Dostoevsky once said, if there is no God, the whole world is anarchy. It's meaningless. And it is the Holy Spirit who takes the gospel message and convicts them of sin and of righteousness and judgment. It's interesting that the word there, he will convict in verse 8, is a reference to a court of law. The Holy Spirit is the prosecuting attorney. That's the picture here, the word picture. He will convict. The prosecuting attorney will present evidence after evidence after evidence of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment that you are guilty and you cannot save yourself. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And he so heaps up the evidence that you become overwhelmed with the evidence and once again, you either believe or you reject. But you are without excuse. One, not the only one by any means, but one amazing picture in the Bible of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is found in Acts chapter 2, where Peter preaches that great sermon at Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, in verses 36 and 37, he preaches, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Notice the gospel here. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now watch verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They're asking, what shall we do to be saved? God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ, the one whom you crucified. He is who he said he was. And you have rejected him. And they were cut to the heart. They were pierced to the heart. That's what it means to be convicted. 
they were convicted and they said, what must we do? What shall we do? And they're asking and they believed and we see. Thousands were added to the church because they believed the gospel message by the convicting work and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Folks, we need to remember and read over and over again, probably, maybe even memorize 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, reference to Satan, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let every one of us here remember, every time we talk to an unbeliever, remember Satan has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The only thing that can penetrate that darkness is the work of the Holy Spirit. You can give them the best arguments you have in your Christian arsenal. You can read evidence that Demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. You can read all kinds of a books, on, books on Christian apologetics, and man, you've got it down. And it will fall on deaf ears unless there is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let us be reminded this morning that every time we share our faith with someone, we ought to be pleading and begging with God for the Holy Spirit to be at work in that person or person's mind and heart. Our second point this morning is the helper and the Christian. The first point was the helper and the unsaved. Our second point is the helper and the Christian. The Holy Spirit not only works in the hearts of unbelievers when they hear the gospel, but he is continually at work in the hearts of every child of God. That's really the twofold thrust this morning. He is at work convicting in the hearts of unbelievers when they hear the gospel, and he's always at work in our hearts, opening our eyes, our hearts, our minds to the word of God. Verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. My brothers, the apostles, the disciples who were there. I have many, I just want you to notice that I have many things yet to say to you. But you can't bear them now. What he's saying is you can't understand them now. Why couldn't they bear them now? Why couldn't they understand them now? First, because he hasn't finished the work of salvation. He still has to go to the cross. He still has to rise from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father. But the second reason they can't understand them now is because the helper hasn't come yet. Remember, he has to go away so he can send the helper. So before they can bear any more, before they can understand any more, he must finish the work of salvation. He must say on the cross, it is finished. And then he must send the help, the helper, the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, they will never understand all that he has yet to say 
to them. So in verse 13, he says to them, when the spirit of truth comes, you cannot bear them now, but, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. When the spirit of truth comes. If you've been with us in this series, he has now used that title, Spirit of Truth, multiple times from chapter 13 through chapter 16. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit always uses the Word of God. The Holy Spirit always, always, always speaks through and uses the Word of God. He doesn't go outside of it. He always uses the Word of God. He is the Spirit of Truth, and he will guide you into all the truth. It is the Holy Spirit, when we read the Word of God, who guides us into truth. He opens our eyes, He opens our hearts, He opens our minds so that we can understand the Bible. I've shared with you many times, this is called the doctrine of illumination. The Holy Spirit illuminates our minds. So every time you're reading the Bible or you're in a Bible study, and you see, I never saw that before. Wow. As many times as I've read this passage, this has become clearer to me. When you have one of those aha moments with Scripture, and I hope you're ha having them all the time, remember, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you hear the word preached and all of a sudden some truth just comes home to you or you're convicted by it and you know that you need to trust God to help you make changes in your life, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now verse 13 helps us to understand, verse 12, the things that they couldn't understand yet. But you cannot bear them now. There was much more truth to come. And you know what that much more truth to come is? Almost every commentary agrees the truth yet to come is the completion of the New Testament. There were many things he was going to say to them, but he was going to say them through the inspired writings of Scripture, the Acts of the Apostles and the Book of Acts, the Epistles, and things to come, the Book of Revelation. Oh, you cannot bear these truths now, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, is going to come, and He will guide you into all the truth. All from Acts to Revelation. In fact, Genesis to Revelation. Folks, it's all from Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all from him. And what he yet had to tell them in Acts through Revelation, it was to be the Holy Spirit that would guide them into all the truth. So in verse 14, Jesus says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. The primary among the many important roles of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. 
and to help you understand that from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Let me tell you, it is a thrilling thing when I hear people share with me how they're seeing Christ in the Old Testament. That is an ongoing lifetime study, seeing Christ in the Old Testament. And when you do, and when you see him clearly, it is the work of the Holy Spirit because he always glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been called, in a sense, the shy one of the Trinity because he always wants to be in the background. It's his intention. He always wants to put the spotlight on Jesus. And by putting the spotlight on Jesus, he puts the spotlight on the Father. And you say, how do you know that, Pastor Tim? Because that's what it says in verse 15. Jesus says, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Jesus said, it's all mine. I am one with the Father. The Father has revealed all to me. So the Holy Spirit will take what is mine from the Father and declare it to you. And let me tell you, the most beautiful, relational, relationship, don't know quite how to say it, the most beautiful inner working relationship in all of the universe is the Trinity. How Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love each other, work together in complete and perfect harmony, forming the one true God is the most beautiful, amazing, mysterious relationship in all the universe. Well, I want to try to take last week's message and this week's message and bring it all together. Boy, after studying these two messages, and maybe you felt this way, I think we need a fresh and renewed understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in us and through us. Sometimes, because of cautions we've had about Pentecostalism, the charismatic movement, or other things with which we may have very disagreement, sometimes we become afraid of the Holy Spirit. Oh, folks, let us not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is powerful, and we need to avail ourselves of the full power of the Holy Spirit living in us and through us. Let me say to you again, evangelism is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Every evangelistic encounter needs to be bathed in prayer, whether before you have the encounter or like Nehemiah in Nehemiah 1 where he just prays on the spot. You pray. You pray. Your responsibility is to share the gospel as clearly as you know how. But it's not your clever argument that convinces anyone. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. If we are to see a revival in our evangelistic efforts, it will be because of our complete, absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh and renewed understanding that it is only by the Holy Spirit that we understand and obey the Bible. 
and that understanding and obeying the Bible is impossible without the Holy Spirit. So whether you are preaching or teaching, whether you are studying the Bible, I don't care whether you're doing a word study, a grammatical study, a historical study of the Bible, whether it's for a small group, one-on-one, -on -one, or for your personal devotions, I don't care how technical it is, let it be a time of complete reliance upon the Holy Spirit. I personally think it's good just to pray, to remind ourselves, I need the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, the Holy Spirit, open my eyes, my heart, my mind to understand the word of God in all of its fullness, that I might go and obey it in your power, in your strength. Some of you who are older, maybe some who are younger, will recognize this name, but for many years, the name J. Vernon McGee was popular among conservative evangelical Christians. He went home to be with the Lord back in 1988, but for many years, he had a Through the Bible radio ministry that led to Through the Bible, Bible commentaries, they're still widely available today. His radio program is still played on some radio stations. Excellent preacher and teacher. I was reading this past week that one of the last public addresses that he ever gave in his life was he was the graduation speaker at Dallas Theological Seminary and because what ended up just being a year or two from his death. At that graduation, his address that morning or, or that day was a reflection on a life of ministry and he said this, he said, if there is one thing that I had to do all over again, I would put more emphasis and teach more often about the person, work, and power of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. John Calvin once said that without the Holy Spirit, the church will never overcome the world. Calvin said, without the Holy Spirit, you will never see a life transformed. And you will never see evil restrained. We're going to close in just a moment with that song. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And I specifically chose this song because I believe it is a good song for both last week and this week. Because when we get right down to it, when we get down to the irreducible minimum of the Christian life, the absolute essential of the Christian life, it is Jesus living his life through me. And me yielding and surrendering and keeping in step in the, with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. You see, we labor, but it's in his strength. We preach and teach, but it's in his power. We are filled with joy, but it's because his abundant life lives within us.
is a little phrase, not I but Christ, not I but Christ, that has been around the Christian church for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, Christians have used that little phrase, not I but Christ. And I know why it's stayed around so long. Because that's what it's all about. Not I, but Christ who lives in me by means of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would constantly, constantly remind us that God, the Holy Spirit, lives within us and ministers through us. It is only by his power that the gospel changes lives. It is only by his power that we can understand and obey the Bible. Oh, Lord, teach me every day by the Holy Spirit Christ lives in me. May everything we do be done through Christ in us. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.